and welcome to episode 20 of the Brood Sages, Stormbound Players with a Head for the Game. I am Freeloader, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Arthas and Sabaiku. Sabaiku, how's it going tonight? Fantastic. And Arthas, how are you doing? I've been enjoying my Skittles. we are the brood sages and as a reminder you can always follow us at brood sages on twitter or for all of you who know what irock means our email address is thebroodsages at gmail.com guys before we start on this week i just want to give a quick shout out this has been uh our 20th episode uh hats off to uh both of you i know arthas you 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 joined a couple of episodes in but 20 episodes in guys i feel like we just need to sort of I don't think it needs a big celebration, but at least a little tip of the hat and a, an acknowledgement of the milestone. So here's to both of you. This has been fantastic, and thank you very much. Oh, thanks. I got to admit, this is about 19 more than I thought we'd make. <laughs> but so far, it's going pretty well. I'm, I, I keep waiting for Arthas to say, I'm just done with you guys. You're crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm just waiting for you guys to get tired of me, and then I'm going to take over, you know? Yes. <laughs> Or <laughs> this rude sages, you know, like that's what's going to be playing the long game. Yeah, exactly. It's the long con here. So, guys, uh, this week we have some community news that Brazilian tournament. Uh, we want to give a shout out. Congrats to Battle Bolt for winning it. Uh, Debnath uh, is going to be posting a bunch of the games on Reddit. I don't know if they're already up yet or will be they soon. They are, yeah. Ooh, well, that's going to be some exciting viewing for me tonight. Although uh, you'll find out later, Debnath has already given me some exciting viewing for later tonight, but I've seen a little bit of it and I can't stop laughing. Um, we forgot to mention it last week. Well, we got it. We didn't forget. We just got caught up with a lot of the new stuff. Uh, Hanu's... Uh, Equals tournament has started with over 50 players, guys. That's insane. We're up to the third round, uh, which reminds me, Sabaiko, you were going to play in that, huh? How did how did it go for you? Pass. <laughs> uh, I uh, I got caught in the first round playing Helios, who uh, kicked me out of the last tournament, and Helios kicked me out of this tournament, too. I went down two to one in the first round. Uh, Arthas, what about you? How are you doing? I'm still kicking. All the way in round three, and I've 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 just been playing uh, meme decks actually. Ooh. I've been playing Temple of Focus. I've been playing Chonk Beam, and I'm finding success. <laughs> just had too much practice with those, and I can pull it off in equals. Pretty cool. Nice. All right. Well, keep us posted on that. We'll keep an eye on it. Um, I do have to say that uh, over fifty players participating in a tournament is. Uh, really exciting. It's uh, a, a positive step forward, I think, for uh, the community that we're seeing this level of involvement in uh, some of the community tournaments. Um, moving from there into our main topic, guys, there's a bunch of new stuff going on. We talked about some of it upcoming last time, but now it's out, and that means we get to play with it. Uh, how are we liking the new stuff? Arthas, you said you've been playing with one of the temples. There's a new temple that uh, I believe just came due today. We're recording on Monday. Uh, how are you liking this new Temple of the Heart? Well, Temple of Heart, um, definitely a really, really interesting card. Um, a lot of people are saying it's like amazing at mind games because, you know, it's, it is a double-edged blade. Um, the kind of benefits you get from it, your enemy gets the same benefits too. So it's kind of um, it's really tricky to play around for both players on the in the game, and uh, I don't know. I've been playing around with it. I know people are thinking like, oh, um, using this to like stabilize after you've taken some early damage, so that you can like heal up again, 
or something like that. But uh, I'm finding it really hard to optimize because it's so hard to control its ability. And not just that, controlling how much damage you or the enemy does to your base. So it's a, there's a lot of factors that are so incredibly out of your control. It's really, really hard to optimize, in my opinion. That's interesting. Do you, do you think that it's still just because it's so brand new? Uh, do you think that as time progresses, players will start to, def- to sort of define the, the time and place to play it and it will become more skill intensive? Or do you think it's just too wild and crazy and it's just something you throw out there for the memes? Well, um, well, you see, it's pretty obvious when you want to play it at first. It's like, oh, I'm lower HP than them. Yeah, I'll play it. Oh, I'm like significantly lower HP than them. Yeah, I'll play it. Like, that's pretty obvious. But what isn't obvious is when are you going to stop draining? When are you going to stop giving your own HP when you finally uh, reach the equilibrium? Eventually, we'll just keep going back and forth. And uh, you shall, um, many times when it goes back and forth, sometimes you're actually like lower in the base HP in terms of like the average back and forth. Uh, it's hard to explain. But um, <laughs> like, for example, uh, with Broken Truths, right? Let's say, let's just start at like 20 HP. Right, both of us twenty HP, and I have Temple of Heart on the the board, and I play Broken Truth to be like, heck yeah, this is going to like synergize with my uh, Temple of Heart, right? Because now I'm gonna be lower HP, I'm gonna be seventeen, and then once a Temple of Heart at level four plus um triggers, I'm going to be nineteen HP, and then they are eighteen. All of a sudden, I'm higher, and it's gonna keep going back and forth, where I am either three HP below them or one HP above them, and in terms of like averaging, that's not good for me. <laughs> you know, it's really weird. And the times where it's really obvious that it's going to be good for you, for a level four plus Temple of the Heart, you you kind of want like a HP difference, uh, something divisible by four, because that's the kind of like a HP gain that you get relative to the other person, right? And then it's going to stabilize and it's going to stop triggering. But it's really weird when it keeps going back and forth, I think. Well, Sabaiku saw a video that solved that back and forth problem, did you not? So uh, the Merc posted one of his early experiments with this card, and uh, his solution to that yo-yoing back and forth was just to put down a second temple. (laughs) So then the yo-yo happened on the same turn. I'm sorry, I don't know why I think this is so funny, but this is such brilliance. Please continue. <laughs> Which is not a bad plan. Uh, you no, know, it's I, awesome. If I'm at 15 and you're at 14, you know, great. I'll I'll donate a couple HP to you, but then I'll get it right back. But I see where you're coming from. Divisible by four is is kind of the sweet spot. If I'm if I'm at 12 and you're at 16, we're going to meet in the middle at 14, and then the temple isn't going to trigger again until somebody's base health changes from another another source of damage. So there was one there was one aspect of the first temple, the temple of focus, that I thought. I had no reason to think so, but I just kind of made the assumption was going to be carried through all the temples. And that was that every time it activated, it uh, reduced its own health. I thought that the temples were going to all sort of self-destruct after a couple of triggers. And I'm wondering if that wouldn't actually help the Temple of Heart out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the, the strength on the tower itself is... It's not great. Even if you have it maxed out, it's only six. Like a, that's going to go away pretty quickly. 
it's already pretty easy to clear. Yeah, that's the thing I noticed. It's like really easy for the enemy to clear whenever it's like in your advantage, which I find really annoying. Because like, um, you know, in the on paper, you would think that this Temple of Heart, like, yeah, it's going to counter chip. It's going to counter base heal by winter. And uh, <laughs> I had I was streaming uh, last night. I, I went against that particular matchup, but it was a uh, winter spells with Ulf. I was like, heck yeah. So I get to counter both chip and heal. But uh, no, because uh, the spells like Bladestorm, Needle Blast, Execution would just keep destroying my Temple of Heart. Mm. <laughs> and it's just it was so hard to keep up and not just that it's not even just in that like matchup even when i'm playing against like rush yeah and i'm taking early damage i find that it's it's pretty easy for rush to actually like destroy the temple because of how much movement in frontline they have in general mm-hmm. and it's like hardly doing as much effect as i would like for you to do that, you'd have to have full control over the board and the Temple of Heart there. And then, but the thing is, when you do that, then the Temple of Heart's gonna be eternal and immortal, and it's gonna start <laughs> giving your HP to the enemy, and you don't really have an option about that. It's like so weird. It's so hard to play around. Yeah, I got to imagine against a rush deck, it's really hard to give up the tempo and just put down the structure on the board and hope that you can still live. So what you're talking about with playing against a winter spells deck that's kind of the worst case scenario because they can get rid of it using board clears they were going to play anyway but against a rush deck on the bright side they at least have to put units into it they have to spend strength clearing it so even if it's not actually healing your base total it's still soaking up some damage for you that is true yeah anything you can do to not take some face damage from a rush deck when you're trying to act as the control whether you're the control or not those are probably good things i want to say one thing though i know most of what i just said about the temple of heart makes it a little underwhelming or even too tricky to play but um with my uh (laughs) countless days of theory crafting honestly like i would think about this in my dreams i'm not even kidding i would think about how to like actually make this work and uh let's just say that you cannot actually use this as a win condition right because um for it to like drain your enemy significantly you'd also have to be significantly low and uh, when that happens you can easily die you know just from the meta of runners and chip you can easily die at any moment so it's it's playing a dangerous game for sure if you're trying to use that to fully chip the enemy and the other thing is if i'm thinking about decks that would actually synergize really well with temple of heart it is those kind of decks that really win in the long game and pretty relatively common that it takes uh early base damage so again this this is pretty pretty indicative of a mid-range deck but i i want to stress that it's more of a particular kind of mid-range where you actually want to get either really big single units or something like that that will hit the enemy base or really really big runners reason for that is um because you know the temple of heart it's a disadvantage to you if the enemy's base hp is lower than you now what you want to make the most to make um that disadvantage less of a big deal is that at the times that you are higher hp you would much rather prefer that the enemy's base hp is significantly lower than yours so in summary temple of heart is really really good for decks that have really crazy burst damage something like forgotten souls 
something like Siren. Those kind of like burst damage where um, you wouldn't mind being the higher HP because you're dealing significant damage to them is pretty good. Another reason why that's pretty nice is because while you're um, busy setting up all these chonky units and big runners, um, you know, usually that means you're losing out on some of your defense. But that's okay because um, the Temple of Hearts got you covered in terms of um, surviving longer. And then you just hit them hard with the burst damage. That's what I've theory crafted so far in the many days I've been thinking about it. I think that's the kind of deck that you want to be putting this this structure in. I think you're right. It sounds like y- you've put a lot of thought into that and you got to what I think is the right conclusion. You're not trying to chip your opponent down you know, with three points here, two points there, because then they're just going to get it back. What you need to do is, like you said, really just try to one-turn kill your opponent, get in some early chip damage, that's fine, it's not significant, but try to burst your opponent down afterward. So if that's what we're thinking, then, I mean, it is a structure. Would Hearthguards not be the... It's perfect. Yeah, exactly. Hearthguards is perfect for this. Hmm. You know, and the, and the reason why it's perfect, you can play a temple at like, you know, the the third row or the fourth row, like, you know, pressuring their baseline, and you hit them with the hearth guards, right? They're probably going to be lower HP than you. That'd be crazy if they aren't. And they're actually going to want to, there's a little bit of incentive for them to keep that structure alive, further allowing you to pressure their baseline. And now it's not even that bad if they're healing because you're significantly higher than them. And then you can cycle to hearth guards again. Or keep pressuring with bigger units i think it synergizes perfectly in that sense yeah but psa if your opponent drops a uh, temple of heart and then hearth guards you to face get rid of the tower (laughs) 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 get rid of it i know it might be tempting to leave it around no 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 get it gone all right guys so moving on from uh temple of heart uh the next thing that happened was uh we had a hmm do we want to call it a buff, I guess, is kind of the question. Uh, Temple Guardians got changed uh, and got changed in a way that felt positive. But I don't know. Is it is it is it better or is it just different now? I'd say it's a buff. I mean, it didn't change its old its old iteration. It, it can still be used as its, you know, as its original design. Mm-hmm, it just mm-hmm. now has an extra tool in its kit. You know, it just has a little bit more flexibility now. Now it's exactly as good as Call for Aid. (laughs) (laughs) Call for Aid for towers. But only some towers. Only some towers. I've been playing a lot of (laughs) Temple Guardians with the two different uh, temples that are released now. And uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a giant meme, you know, Um, making a giant cross on the board, T-posing in the enemy for straight up dominance. (laughs) <laughs> but Keep i don't know it's just it's really hard to actually like pull it off because you can't it would be nice you know i think would be a really nice like, little change that would help temple guardians while mm-hmm. keeping this mechanic is that making it so that you can play temple guardians on any of the bordering tiles of the temple you know instead Ooh. of the, instead of just the top tile because having the top tile is like it's so hard to pull off Right, nice you had to have you have need to have the structure live on the board survive for a turn and you have to have front past the structure 
but you don't want the structure on your baseline because if it's on your baseline, then you're missing out on one of the units from the temple guardians. Yeah, the one that gets blocked by the temple. <laughs> yeah, and not just that. Like usually, um, it's not even that you don't have front line for the front of the temple, but it's just that it's just blocked by either your own unit or like an enemy unit. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if we if we make it so that you can play it on any of the bordering tiles, then you can do what Freeloader mentioned before. It can be a little bit like a doppelbox. It could potentially increase your front line. Mm. You know? So that would be pretty neat. I actually had another thought on how to make Temple Guardians so much cooler, better, whatever. And I know this is going to sound crazy. So Baiku, what do you think about turning Temple Guardians into a spell? So that you don't have to have the front on the board. It'll just spawn around your temple. Correct. Or your baseline. But it also pairs with Aaron. You just basically want to make it call for aid for... for <laughs> it's just call for that, aid. That's really what you're saying. <laughs> Specifically call for aid for structures. Well, for temples, not for any structure, of course. Yeah. No. What do you think? Like, like in all seriousness... Uh... Be- because I, because of being able to move the front forward is part of it. But then the other part of it is I think it, it, it synergizes with an Aaron deck fairly well. I don't know about That's, that. Yeah, it would be yeah. too close to call for aid. <laughs> Plus, I don't know, yeah. you can pull off some really cool shenanigans with the singular um, Temple Guardian's body. I think I've done that in equals once. I don't remember what exactly what I did, but I used it to defend something uh, very uh, important. You played it not on your baseline? <laughs> yes, I played the lone Temple Guardian. <laughs> the ultimate flex. The ultimate assertion of dominance. <laughs> that poor Temple Guardian. He's like, where's everyone that I invited to my birthday party? <laughs> they all they all joined the Summon Militia group. They That's why Summon Militia keeps spawning in the baseline. It's like playing l- Lucky Charmers with no pirates in hand. I'm just, I'm just totally flexing on you right just now. like, hey, I got this. Be scared. <laughs> oh my gosh. So guys, um, overall, on a on a one to five, I'm gonna say Temple Guardians um was in silver and gold a good solid three to four. It wasn't a killer card, but boy, was it fairly scary when somebody played it back in, you know, silver and gold. Moving up from there though, it dropped off pretty far into a one or a two do we think that in either section of the meta it's moved from those points i wouldn't say so i mean although this is technically a buff because there is no downside to the change it's only advantage right Mm -hmm. it's just not it's just not significant enough honestly it's just adding a little extra detail to the card but it's not really changing i'm not i i don't think so people could disagree for eight mana it's really got to change the complexion of the game right like gift of the wise changes the game oh for sure this this doesn't this just puts a pile of stats on the board all right i I, i'm going to challenge you a little bit there though subaiku i'm going to say that you don't get to use gift of the wise as the comparison eight mana value card because i still think gift might be broken Can you come up with another eight mana card to compare it to and and say whether or not it's... I would rather play Joust Champions. No, even Crazy Bombers is like insane. Oh my gosh, That's yeah. a crazy, yeah, crazy, crazy Bombers <laughs> is actually my favorite eight mana card in the game. Uh, I jam it into every winter deck that I make. Um, it's a fantastic card, and I would much rather play it than Temple Guardians. 100%, and it's a fair card on top of that. Mm. Um yeah, no, no. Crazy Bombers is just flat out better. It's better at defense. It's better at offense. It's just 
better. It's better at flexibility too. It's like, it's crazy. <laughs> Little known fact, you can play your crazy bombers right next to a temple. It's true. Wow. I know. You can play it in front of a temple. <laughs> and it moves. <laughs> so from there, Sabaiku, uh, there's been some changes to the confusion mechanic. And I know you have been experimentally, experimenting, pardon me, handily with the confusion mechanic uh, this month. Um, so after about a, a 10 days, give or take, what do you think? I think that the change to confusion is fantastic. I think that Ooh. the mechanic is viable. Uh, just having the confused units no longer able to walk forward. You still get a little bit of randomness with, will they go left? Will they go right? You can often set that up by playing on the sides of the board so that there's, you know, if, if the enemy unit is on the right border, it can't go any further to the right. It has to move to the left. So you can kind of work that to your advantage in a lot of situations. Um, you know, I started playing with uh, an ironclad deck um, and I got it uh, through, through a few different iterations um, with some help from Karua in the Discord who had a very functional confusion-based deck already. Um, and I kind of got to the same point unfortunately, where the only confusion cards in the deck are Sweet Cap Kittens, Hair Raising Cats, and Fluffy Bad Boxers. And that's because while I think that the confusion mechanic is great, I think the confusion cards on their own are not so great. Oh no, what's wrong? And a lot of, a lot of those just, just need some help. So it's tough. They're caught in a catch-22. Units that move are generally much more useful, right? You can play a unit that moves, even if it's got a little bit of low strength for the mana cost, just for some tempo, right? Just to advance your front line, just to put some pressure on the enemy or to clear out something. Units that cause confusion, you want to not move. If the unit confuses something in front of it and then moves into it and attacks it for example uh sly boots for four mana does that it's just not that useful you end up either needing to trade into something bigger than it so you can confuse it and then it's still there or you clear it and then the confusion effect was wasted and you played a confusion card to not actually confuse anything hmm. in the same way melodious sisters i really wanted to play something that took advantage of the confusion causing effect. I, I really tried to make Melodious Sisters work, but the problem is it would attack into whatever was confused and just clear it out of the way. Sure, the, the unit it attacked did some damage to whatever was surrounding it first, but most of the time it was just going to move into that unit next to it and clear it anyway. I didn't need to attack into it and waste my own unit. So you hmm. kind of have this this problem where the units that move are not great. The units that don't move are not particularly viable. You know, especially with sweet cap kittens working the way that it does where it confuses in the column in front of it. If you're trying to compete against a rush deck and you're trying to catch up, it doesn't confuse anything at your baseline. You're stuck really needing a strong early game to try to compete with a rush deck just so that your confusion cards don't get overwhelmed early on you know hair raising cats is another good example right like just 
geographically it needs to be surrounding the unit that you've confused in order to make it do something. You need to have front in order to be near the unit that you've confused and you can't play it defensively a lot of the time. You know, something like Excited Mousers is a really good design in that you can confuse surrounding enemies. You don't have to be limited by playing it to something that's in front of it. You can confuse something that's on your baseline. But the condition for five mana, you have to have friendly units around it. And that's just too tough to meet a lot of the time. Like It's just not not particularly viable. The constraints of the geography and the condition of having units survive on the board means that you can't play that one defensively particularly well either. This is really interesting, actually, because all of these cards, the mechanic itself, I think we can agree, is a defensive controlling style mechanic. But you're pointing out that each of these cards themselves... The, the the sort of structure of the card is not defensively minded. And that's the kind of the catch-22, because if you make it so that they're more useful defensively, I think they would actually end up being really, really strong and really difficult to overcome in a lot of ways. But you get to the point where you want to use this mechanic as a stall, and you can't really do that well. So the deck that I've ended up working with um, like I said, it, it just plays three confusion cards. You use fluffy bad boxers for just a big five mana unit that'll just kind of attack into something weak that's left over from a trade, confuse everything your opponent has on the board, and then kind of stall out the game for you a little bit. And the reason why you want to do that is because then you're going to want to try to play either sweet cap kittens and hair raising cats combo. If you confuse something on your opponent's baseline, you can then send it into the base with the hair-raising cats, because we know hair-raising cats are all about that base. No treble. That's kind of like a nice finisher, or even just like a mid-game, like clear a unit, do some damage, keep some presence at the enemy's baseline. Um, And then I play the ozone and unhealthy hysteria combo, so you can kind of get a little extra chip damage that way. Um, But these mechanics kind of lend you toward playing a rush style deck right you want to play something aggressive Hmm. so that you can send these units into the base without without dying interesting overall what do you like scale of one to five where do you place uh five being (laughs) ironclad mid-range uh uh, (laughs) where do you place confusion as a mechanic I think confusion as a mechanic is a solid four. Like it's really wow. good. It's okay. really fun. Yeah, I agree with that. It's it's really you can get some amazing board clears just by setting up your units because mm-hmm. you know because you know that your sweet cap kittens are coming next turn or whatever. Um it is a little tough because the confused state now will not persist. Uh, you know, I think we talked about that last time. If the unit walked forward, it would stay confused and then have a chance to move sideways again the next turn. Or be activated by one of the confusion synergy cards. Exactly. Now you have to play your synergy cards on the same turn that you play the confusion effect. And that's the other reason why the four and five mana cards are a little tougher to use, just because you don't get to them until later in the game. Right, 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 right. Arthas, what do you think? I think that the confusion synergies are... Honestly, weaker now. 
Huh, okay. I would say weaker, yeah, because there's less chances to do it. And just with the design, it's hard to even pull off in the first place. But the confusion mechanic itself, it's it's just so good. Like, I'm putting Sweet Cap in. I'm just, like, slotting it in as a beautiful two-mana card. And I'm finding so much use for it, like, all the time, just with its mechanic. You know, it's, right. like, it's such a big deal. Like, Sweet Cap's actually a very, very, very good two-mana card now. Like, I Absolutely. really... Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, this past brawl was the Frostling brawl, where all the Frostlings have bonus strength, and everybody's playing Dawn Sparks, and you could just confuse their Dawn Sparks for two mana, so it doesn't attack at the start of the next turn. Oh, but that that just really screws up a lot of people when they're not getting the mana acceleration they thought they were going to get. Oh my god! It's gosh. even better when you pair it with the hair raising cats and just send a, a 16 strength on sparks into their base and win the game in one shot. <laughs> that's hilarious. I mean, not just that, not just that. Like in, in that's that's obviously like a amazing like golden opportunity to play sweet cap, but literally like I put only sweet cap in my deck, right? You like, don't need no anything to take advantage of it. It's fine yeah. to just to just mess up what your opponent was trying to set up. Mm, and it's very very easy to let the opponent's units walk into more opponent more enemy units. It's so easy because it's 50-50 in the worst case scenario, but in many other cases it's predictable. It's it's yeah, and you get some serious value. You just always confuse the one that's going to move first if they're right next to each other. Oh, good point. Yep, yep. You want to make sure that the one that moves first has a chance to move into the one next to it. You know, pay attention to your ordering on movement. Uh, but that's, you know, you, you bring up a really good point, Arthas, that hair-raising cats a lot of the time, I end up just cycling it out because all it does is force something to happen that was going to happen at the start of the next turn anyway. Right. That was what I was pointing out last yeah, time. Reloader like, called that. <laughs> I'm like, it's just like a, 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 a nerf to Harry's and cats because like the, the odds of it happening anyway are fairly high to the point where I don't know that you need to jam it into your deck to force it to happen. I, I will say I, I keep it in the deck absolutely because i use it for base damage a lot sure, sure. Yeah, yeah yeah a real lot but that does mean i tend to cycle it in the early game i'm not trying to force it i'm trying to make that as a play later on on you know seven eight nine mana when when i'm trying to just finish the game mm-hmm. um, also there is definitely something to be said for i confuse the unit and i want to make it attack i don't want to take that 50 50 shot no, for sure. Yeah, no, th- there are there are definitely times where it's advantageous. It's just the only point I was trying to make was there are now times where it's perfectly acceptable to just let the confusion happen, and where before it, you know, you didn't even know if it was going to trigger at all. It might move forward, so you you really wanted the hair raising cats before, and now, you know, even if it's only a third of the time that you that you know that you're in that situation where you're like, ah, this is fine. I don't need the the HRC on top of it. That still feels like a nerf to me. Just a little extra technique that you could still use. Like I know I was talking about using the confusion to make enemy units like kill each other, but it doesn't need to be that way. Because um, you know, with rush being very uh prominent in the meta, um, rush players tend to like avoid your units, right? Which makes it annoying for you because now your units are not gonna walk into the enemy units and clear them for you. But you can confuse the enemy units that are right next to your own, and they will walk into your units and give you the value that normally you wouldn't get for board clear. It's just so yeah. nice. I've done that so many times, and it really helps. That's very clever, too. 
Yeah. So in general, like the mechanic is great. The cards are are difficult to use because of either the geography constraints because they don't move or because they do move. <laughs> it's there's no good way. I I can't think of a way that you could design a card that that still has the appropriate constraints but but is still balanced. Confusion spell. Confusion spell. Um, or more cards like fluffy bad boxers, which can confuse regardless of geography, right? Like, I mean, if you notice the the two cards that people gravitate to are fluffy and sweet cap, and it's because they can confuse from a distance and that not requiring the bordering or surrounding geography that excited mousers and sly boots require, maybe I think gives them the edge and makes them usable. So listening to what you're telling me, it sounds like if I want to play around confusion, I don't want to leave units side to side. I want to either put a, 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 a column in between them or stagger them, which sounds to me like putting Sweet Cap into a Shadowfen deck running Witches is like awesome. It can be. But it can also screw up a good, what was going to be an advantageous turn for you down the road. You got to really pay attention to what you're doing and how things move. And sometimes you just got to trust the the random left, right works in your favor. So uh, moving on from uh, confusion, which you'll pardon the pun, is a fairly confusing mechanic in the game. And I think it therefore warranted the uh, longer conversation on it. Guys, uh, we still, the verdict was out on Temple of Focus. Arthas, you've been playing a lot of it, uh, even in your Eagles tournament games. Uh, what do you think? Where are we? I, 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 I'm I, so tempted to just like max it out because I love the card so much. It just sucks that um, in ranked, my Temple of Focus being only level three is, it's technically underleveled and I can't use it in the way that I want to because I just can't. Um, take advantage of the strength i only have its ability and you know even so like with just the ability i'm finding some pretty good success with it i almost solidified a deck around it i think there are still two cards that i'm fixing around but the remaining 10 cards are all like pretty set i'm just seeing so many situations where like dang i just wish this was max level or i wish it was one level higher and it's just crazy how much the strength makes a difference because if, um, you can't always rely on the ability actually like working because there is a lot of counterplay to the card. But having the kind of flexibility where you're using it for both the ability and for its defensive HP is just amazing. Like um, I know from my experience, I th- from all of my testing, it is optimal to play Temple of Focus on the second row in any of your columns, even if it's like the far left or the far right, it is in your best interest to play it on the second row. First thing, if your Temple of Focus was actually leveled and not underleveled, you know, meaning it has a relatively big strength, right? That structure is perpetually defending your baseline, which is amazing. Another thing, putting it on the second row almost always guarantees that you meet the half of the condition of Zuri where you need a tile behind oh. so you can actually Zuri uh, units in front. It's a lot harder to Zuri when your uh, temple is all the way in your baseline. And uh, yeah, it's amazing to have it in the second row. Like you'll think that the enemies would, you know, it's easier for enemies to kill it 
but honestly not a big deal if they're running their units into something relatively big right that that's value for you and then if they don't you can just keep placing more and more of them right or if you even if you just have one you can just keep placing units in the same column keep pressuring the enemy like implicitly with the the baseline damage and you're forcing them to do plays they don't want and it's just so great how many ways you can like pressure the enemy with just this one card while also providing defense it's just that mine is under leveled ah <laughs> i wish it was seven strength <laughs> i'm gonna say remind our uh our listeners what level three has for strength uh level three is five strength okay and so uh five, level six. five is seven strength but gotcha. um, i don't know if i want to spend actually technically i i would love to spend 400 on it Okay, because I absolutely adore the card. I think it's a beautiful, dynamic card in the game. Unfortunately, there are like four more temples that I don't know about, and I need to save my fusion stones. <laughs> mm. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, that is the Temple of Focus. Moving on from there, uh, we have our card of the week. Our card of the week this week uh, is Dog in it. It's the North Sea Dog. Uh, two mana. One strength at every single level. Gosh, why would you ever level it up? Zero movement. Uh, and the answer is, well, it's effect. When played as the last card in your hand, gain, and here we go with our levels, five, six, seven, eight, ten strength. All right, guys, uh, what do we think? I'll ask Sabaiku first. What do you think about the North Sea Dog? It uses hand manipulation in a great way. Uh it's an interesting take on the pirate mechanic. If you can get it to come down as the last card in your hand, it is a tremendous amount of strength for the mana cost. With that being said, at two mana, it's not easy to get it out of your hand early. You know, about the best you can say is for six mana, you can play your green prototypes and then first mutant years and then this, uh, or green prototypes and summon militia and another two mana card. And then this, like it's, it really requires the deck to be very, very low curve in order to make it work. And if the deck is that low curve, it probably doesn't have a lot of staying power. Um, so I think it it's overall pretty balanced um, and kind of the condition is too hard to meet to make it reliable and that's why it doesn't see a lot of play uh, yeah arthas i would imagine any deck that's running that low of a mana curve and we're talking three and under basically right mm -hmm. uh it really wants this to have movement doesn't it yeah but um there are, there are a decent amount of cards that have movement at low mana right i mean you have saber you have doppel you have gifted you have a whole bunch of those cards like westwind even first minute year there's a lot of movement already mm -hmm. and i mean this is like really cool i think it's what i would call a like a tech card it's not something that's reliable in most cases it is only reliable when you build around it or when you're like, you know, well, yeah, and for this for this particular scenario, when you build around the card because um uh you really do need a very low mana curve for this to be reliable enough for it to be worth a card slot in your deck. Cuz like, you know, now with sweet cap being really really powerful now, you could totally just use sweet cap instead, right? It's a new two mana mm -hmm. card in the meta that's like really really strong, but uh you definitely need to be playing like really hard rush or something like something of that sort 
<laughs> to be uh, utilizing North Sea Dog to its full potential. You're right. It, it's a build around card. And if a card is going to be build around, it has to be strong enough to make it worth it. And it really has to impact the game. And even though this has a lot of strength, I'm not sure that it's, that it's strong enough to make that really viable. Yeah, I mean, in general, when I'm thinking about playing a rush deck, there's there's basically two things I want to do, right? I want to put either units on my opponent's baseline, or I want to put units kitty corner to protect. And this has its only role in that in that kind of style of play as the protector, right? I'm never putting it on my opponent's baseline. But it's so strong it might live and get there anyway. That's exactly true, right? So that's its it's it's its best role then is as a effectively a two mana tower. Yeah, it's like just, a moving tower for frontline. And if you think about it in that regard, it's certainly better than unstable build, even at right. Mm, no. I don't know. No, <laughs> right. Because Fortonic. Right. Oh, exactly. yeah. Fortonic <laughs> makes it so freaking good. But also, also you know, even if it doesn't, you know, exactly, uh, you can't play it on the enemy baseline, like you can pair it with Forgotten easily. You could even pair it with Temple of Focus easily. There Ooh. you go. <laughs> right? Temple of Focus still three mana. You can actually fit that in the deck. You can't you can't pair it with Forgotten Souls because you have to play Forgotten Souls before you play this card. Oh no! What I'm saying is you're setting up for it the next turn. You know, it's like what they you're assuming your the opponent won't, used won't to be, be able to um, clear it. Right? Yeah, assuming they don't, and usually they don't want to because with something big, right, a big unit tends to take uh, more than one card to clear, and it's not usually something the opponent is willing to do. Maybe they're saving their high value card for that card, so usually it actually makes it on the baseline. Okay. And if it doesn't, well, you got other units that you've spammed alongside right. it. Hmm. Okay. So a Temple of Focus North Sea Dog deck. I'm excited. I'm going to challenge our listeners. Let's see it. Somebody <laughs> put the deck list. Okay, not going to lie. I might actually try that. I think that works. I was yeah. playing North Sea Dog in the uh, stream a while ago. I'm um, doing it with Shadow Fan because, uh, you know, uh, I remember David. Yeah, David. Uh, mm -hmm. David G. He's more active in the Italian Stormbound server, I believe. I may be wrong, but I think that's correct. Um, but yeah, he he made the Shadowfen deck that was like three mana and under with North Sea Dog and First Mutineer, and it was like so cool to like change the way you play Rush just from managing your mana and using the First Mutineer and North Sea value together. It's like so cool, and uh, yeah, now with Temple of Focus, I think that would be awesome because like you can still use Temple of Focus as a strong structure as like a frontline card that's not necessarily for uh the ability there's so much there's so much you can actually do with it so i think it's going to be awesome all right well guys that's going to end the main portion of this episode which means it's time for me to remind you all to follow us please on twitter at brood sages and email us at the brood sages at gmail.com uh this week we did hear from debnath he said quote i was waiting for you guys uh, in my opinion, Temple of the Heart can become a dragger. I can definitely see a Winter Freeze deck negating Frontline to a Rush deck, occasionally defending with Temple of Heart until 8-mana turn, and then, of course, Gift of the Wise and lots of heavy runners. Call me a boomer. I also say lol. Also, uh, he was kind enough to share the Trekking Alderman loop, which was actually bugs. Uh, and bugs? I, yeah. <laughs> I told I, I told you at the beginning of this that Devnath shared a video that had me laughing, and let me tell you, I couldn't stop. 
watching Bugs set up a match against himself, two separate accounts. And oh my gosh, it was just Bragda and uh, a couple of towers to hold everything back and trek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the one I was talking about. Right? <laughs> it just lasts forever. <laughs> Turns her skipping and everything. <laughs> can you really bra- can you really blame your opponent for roping after that's happening? <laughs> no, no, you cannot. No, you um, cannot. Dude, you, okay, are you gonna are you gonna show this? Are you gonna put this video in the show notes? Because I think people should watch it. It's really cool. Yeah, we we will share that in the show notes for sure. Uh, uh, and and huge shout out to Bugs, whose uh, in-game name used to be Sir Fapalot. Uh, so that's what you'll see uh, when you're watching the video is uh, Sir Fapalot versus himself. Uh, and uh, yeah, it is worth. Uh, let's boost the views on that YouTube video. To, to <laughs> it is worth. I, I don't know. It it, it was uh, Sabaiku. Correct me. Was it sixty four mana we were watching? Something like that, yeah. It must have taken quite some time to set up. A ton of work. Uh, so that's <laughs> off to Bugs for doing it. Uh, but guys, that's going to do it uh, for this episode. For Arthas and Sabaiku, I am Freeloader. We are the Brood Sages, reminding you to stay hydrated. <laughs>